Today we're continuing our message series, which we've called Power for Life. Now, this is the second message in the series. There's just going to be four in this series. So if you missed last Sunday's message, which was called Why I Need the Spirit's Power, I would strongly encourage you to watch the video. Uh, It's available on our website. It's available on YouTube and uh, our Facebook page as well. Because these messages build, and you're, you're not going to get the whole picture if you don't listen to them all. The key verse for our message series is Acts 1.8, and you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the verses written out as well as the outline. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, in the Greek, the word for power in this verse is, is dunamis. And dunamis obviously means power, it means might, it means strength. In the New Testament, it means the miraculous, supernatural power of God. It's not talking about natural abilities that we all might have. It's a, it's a supernatural power. Every human being is born with certain natural abilities, and oftentimes we talk about these as, as gifts. And in a sense, they are gifts from God. Everything that we have is a gift from God. But that's not uh, what spiritual gifts are. This dunamis power spoken of in Acts 1.8 is a supernatural power that comes into your life through an experience with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about in this message series. In Acts 1.5, Jesus gives us the name of this experience. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so that, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is what gives us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's just watch a short video. We played it last Sunday, but a number of people weren't here because of the weather. It's called Power for Life. And so today, our message is entitled, What is Spirit Baptism? And so we're going to begin by looking at an incredibly important verse that we ended last Sunday's message with. It's Acts 2, verse 38. And this is what Peter's conclusion to his message to thousands of people gathered on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said to these people, repent. And while they asked, what should we do? Because he had talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead. And the people said, what are we supposed to do now? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by Peter to preach to these people on the day of Pentecost. But they were inspired by him to speak to us today for people of all time. And so God commands people in in this verse, he commands them to enter into three definite uh, God-given experiences in order to fulfill our purpose as believers in life. And the first experience that every person is commanded, every person on this planet, God commands them to repent from their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so the first experience that God commands and requires of every person, now every person isn't saved, but God is calling every person to be saved, is salvation. The second experience is to be water baptized. Once you are saved, Jesus commands you to be water baptized. And the third experience is to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these three fundamental experiences are so essential that they've been under attack by Satan for thousands of years. Uh, From the very beginning, they became under attack. 
And because of these attacks of the enemy, the result has been the splintering of the church into many, many different denominations. And oftentimes people say, oh, isn't it wonderful? We have all these denominations. It's the God-given diversity of the body of Christ. Well, it's not. It's ungodly factions that are caused by wrong doctrines. The reason there are all these denominations is because people believe different things. And uh, God's word is very clear. Romans 16, verse 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And so factions are caused by wrong doctrine being taught. And so we ought to strive for the unity of the spirit. It comes through agreement on sound doctrine. Now, in the book of Acts, we see God's model for the church demonstrated in these three experiences that Peter commanded on the day of Pentecost. What are these three experiences? We should know them by heart. Salvation, water baptism, spirit baptism. And we see these demonstrated throughout the book of Acts. And so the early church was functioning in these three experiences. As we'll see as we go through this message series, they expected once a person is saved, boom, they need to get water baptized, they need to get spirit baptized. And these three experiences are assumed throughout the rest of the New Testament. Everyone was water baptized, everyone was spirit baptized, that was saved, added to the church, and these things happened. But in the centuries that followed the early church, as it went on from A.D. 100 to 200 to 300, the church began to drift away from the pattern that God had established. It began to drift into basically the, the Catholicism. And Catholicism basically taught salvation by works. If you're a good person, then you are saved. And that actually is not biblical teaching. That saves no one. And it took over a thousand years until 1517 when the Reformation took place and the the truth that salvation came by faith alone was recovered again to the church. In 1517, Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the church, and it sparked this Reformation. And people began to understand that you're not saved by doing good things. You're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And the result of the Reformation was the formation of, of denominations based on Different men's teaching. So you have the Lutherans following the teaching of Lutheran, of Luther. You have the Presbyterians following the teaching of Calvin. The Methodists following the teaching of Wesley. And unfortunately, these Reformation denominations that, whose founders at least had recovered the truth of salvation by faith alone, they continued the long practice over thousands of years, the Catholic practice of infant baptism. And so the result was that most of the people in these denominations, even today, believe they're saved because they're baptized as infants. They become part of the church, they're saved, and there is zero biblical support for that doctrine. And if you believe that you're saved because your parents had you infant baptized, if that's your basis for your belief, then you're not saved at all. So after 1517 and the formation of these uh, these denominations, which got the first thing commanded by Peter Wright, that you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. The first experience was right. The Baptist denomination arose in the 1600s, 
And they understood after they read God's word that infant baptism was not taught anywhere in the Bible. And so they rejected that practice and began to practice believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is simply, as we read in the book of Acts, when somebody is saved, then they are baptized by immersion as a believer. And of course, the Baptists also believed in salvation by faith. And so uh, the first two experiences commanded by Peter had now been recovered to the church in, in our time, at least coming up close to our time. But none of the major denominations we've mentioned so far teach or practice spirit baptism, the third experience that was taught by Peter and throughout the book of Acts. And so the final restoration of the third experience that was proclaimed on the day of Pentecost began in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. There was a young lady in a, a Bible college that was led by Charles Parham. She, her name was Agnes Osmond. And they were studying God's word. They were studying the book of Acts. They were seeking God to have more of his power in their lives. And as they prayed, Agnes Osmond was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, just as we'll see happened in the book of Acts. And from that experience, a number of people in the Bible college then were baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time, including Charles Parham. That experience, uh, that recovered truth of spirit baptism began to spread like wildfire. wildfire. That was in 1901. And by 1914, 13 years later, the Assemblies of God was formed. Assemblies of God was the first denomination to teach the truth of these three biblical experiences. Salvation, water baptism, and spirit baptism. And the Assemblies of God has grown explosively in the last hundred years. It's been about a hundred years since that truth was re uh, recovered. It now numbers about 70 million people across the world. And there are hundreds of millions of spirit baptized people uh, as well that are not right in the assemblies of God. Other denominations that have not embraced these three truths are in decline worldwide. You name any of them, they're all declining. Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, they're all in decline. And spirit-filled churches are growing explosively across the world. What about non-denominational churches? Well, they need to be evaluated by their teaching on these three experiences, and they run the gamut. Uh, you'll have some that, that don't even have salvation right. You have some that have salvation right, but they practice uh, baptism incorrectly. You'll have some that have salvation and baptism, but they don't understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there are some that have sound doctrine in each of these three areas. The Assemblies of God is constantly reaching out to non-denominational churches uh, that have these, these three things right, to bring them into the much larger expression that we have in the assemblies. So I'm on the board of the St. Louis section of the Assemblies of God, and we uh, work on this in the St. Louis area. We're now working on seeing a major non-denominational church join the Assemblies of God uh, in the next few months. So you can pray that, that there's a lot of things that have to happen for that to work out, but it looks very promising right now. And so not only do each of us here at Life Church need to experience God in these three areas, so do your friends and your relatives in other churches that don't teach these truths. And so we encourage you to invite them to hear 
the truth uh, here at Life Church, or as I said, the videos of this third experience that we're talking about in the Power for Life series are available online for anybody to watch and listen to. So let's get back to our main question now. Let's get back to God's Word. What is spirit baptism? We're going to look at three examples of spirit baptism today. There's a lot more, and we'll see more as we go on in the series. Uh, and so, first of all, we're going to look at, and most people don't even understand this happened, spirit baptism in the life of Jesus. And so Jesus is our example, and we are to follow him in what he does. We are to follow his commands. We are to follow him in the things he experienced. Now, Jesus was, obviously, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We see in Luke 1.35, uh, an angel talking to Mary, who's Jesus' mother. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Son to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so from his very birth, obviously the Holy Spirit was active in Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus was the Son of God. He was one with the Father. He's one with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit and Jesus uh, were together from the very beginning of his life. And next, Jesus was water baptized. Luke 3, 21. It says, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. So we can read a, a fuller account of this in the other Gospels. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, John didn't want to baptize him. He understood Jesus was the Son of God. He said, but Jesus said, yes, you need to baptize me because I need to fulfill the Scriptures. I need to act as an example for people to follow. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus by Immersion. Jesus was not baptized as an infant. Uh, he was baptized by immersion as an adult following God's command. And then Jesus was spirit baptized. Verse 22, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Now notice the sequence here. In the previous verse, we saw that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he was praying. Very important note that Luke mentions. Of course, we always need to remember that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Luke wrote the book of Acts. And there are two volumes that go together, Luke and Acts. And so Luke took more careful, uh, gave us more details about the things that relate to the Holy Spirit in the book of Luke than some of the other Gospels. And so Jesus was praying after he was baptized. What was he praying? Well, I believe he was seeking God for the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life because he was about ready to begin his ministry. And God's answer, as we saw in the previous verse, was that heaven was opened and the Spirit came down upon Jesus. And so at this baptism, both the water baptism and the Spirit baptism, God acknowledged that he was pleased with Jesus. He was pleased as Jesus was following his will and being water and spirit baptized. Now, as we said, before this point, Jesus had not begun his ministry. And so it's very significant that Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was spirit baptized. We read in the next chapter in Acts 4.1, don't have time to read the whole verse, that says that now Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, it says that Jesus was now in the power of, and the Greek word there is the same as in Acts 1.8. He was in the dunamis of the Spirit. 
And in the next few verses, uh, we see the next chapter, we see his supernatural ministry began. And so this is Jesus' example for us. Water baptism, spirit baptism. How are we to follow Jesus' example? Well, the first step is that we need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to be saved. And there are people in this congregation today who are not yet saved. And if you have not been saved, don't put it off. Don't think you have forever. Don't put it off. God is speaking to you today. You need to give your heart to him today. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message. Secondly, you need to be water baptized, baptized by immersion after you became a believer. If you were infant baptized, obviously you were not saved at that point. Infants cannot uh, make a decision to be saved. Uh, and you became a believer after that. You need to be baptized by immersion after you became a believer. And we encourage you to sign up on your Connect card for that, and we'll schedule that for you as well. And thirdly, you need to pray, as Jesus did, that God would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we go through this Powerful Life series, I mentioned it last Sunday. We'll mention it again today. I'm going to be asking you to do three things. The first thing, the order is a little different than last Sunday, but it's the same three things. Uh, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do during this series is to pray and seek more of God's power in your life. If you haven't been spirit baptized, that's what you need to seek. If you have been, we still need God, more of God's power in our lives as well. So pray and ask God for more of his power in your life and in our church. Second example we want to look at today is spirit baptism in the apostles. They're really talking about the 120 people that were praying in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Now, as we go through these examples, we need to understand when you read Scripture, it's not just to tell you what happened thousands of years ago. That's the wrong way to read Scripture. A lot of read, people read Scripture like that. Now, it is an accurate record of what happened thousands of years ago. But it's meant to teach us something. And we could... The Bible tells us that. These things are meant to teach us something. They're meant to teach us how God works. Uh, teach us how God wants to work in our lives today. They're to teach us how to experience the same things that people experienced in the times of the Bible. So the apostles were, first of all, they were born again. They were regenerate. John 20, 22 is something that many people don't understand. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Uh, he had not yet ascended into heaven, and he taught his disciples for 40 days between the period when he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, had been with the disciples, but he, Jesus told, and there's another verse, we don't have time to go into all the verses, but he said, the Holy Spirit is with you. He said that sometime before he was resurrected, that Spirit would be in you. And that's what happened here. Jesus said to them, he, uh, when Jesus had said something to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the disciples were born again. The Spirit entered into them as Jesus commanded the Holy Spirit, and they were born again. The Spirit began to live inside of them. The New Testament teaches clearly that the Holy Spirit lives inside of every 
believer at the point of salvation. But we're going to see that spirit baptism is a different and subsequent experience that every born-again believer needs. And so even though the disciples were born again, even though Jesus had breathed on them, and that's the same word used when God breathed the breath of life in Genesis into Adam, he infused the Holy Spirit into them, they were not yet spirit-baptized. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. 120 believers were in the upper room. They were praying. They were seeking God. We talked about this last Sunday. They were to wait until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit before they began their ministries, before they began to fulfill the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel to the whole world. He said, don't go. You don't have the power. You can't do it. And so they waited. They prayed. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostles and the other, the complete 120 there that were in the upper room were praying to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they prayed for a number of days. And suddenly then the Holy Spirit was poured out from an open heaven, and they were spirit-baptized. It's here described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the initial evidence that these disciples, that these apostles were spirit-baptized on the day of Pentecost? Well, they, they spoke in tongues. The complete verse says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what... What are these other tongues? Well, tongues in the New Testament are languages of some type that the speaker has not learned naturally. Say that again. The tongues are languages of some type that the speaker has not learned naturally. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the tongues that were spoken, it says, were the disciples praising God, the disciples glorifying God, in the languages of the crowd that had assembled. There were many people who had come on the day of Pentecost from many nations, and they spoke many different languages. And on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were speaking in the languages of these other people that they had never learned before. But as we study everything the Bible has to say about tongues, which we'll get more about that in another message, we're going to see that people who speak in tongues can also speak in heavenly languages that have no earthly counterpart. And we're going to talk more about the purpose of tongues again in another message. Well, just suffice it to say this morning that, that tongues are a new kind of prayer language that didn't exist in Old Testament times. No mention of tongues in the Old Testament. It's something new that came for the first time on the day of Pentecost. And this new kind of prayer language makes it possible for a believer, a spirit-baptized believer, to communicate with God in a way that bypasses the limitations of our minds. When you pray in tongues, the Bible tells us that you are praying to God in perfect keeping with God's will. So you're praying a perfect prayer, a prayer that will always be answered. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the future. So we see the apostles now, born again, being water uh, being um, spirit-baptized, and then being uh, speaking in tongues as evidence of that. Now, when were the apostles water-baptized? Well, that's a mystery. The Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, I believe most likely they were baptized along with the 3,000 other believers on the day of Pentecost. I believe it had to happen somehow. Uh, that's where I believe it happened. And so the threefold sequence, if I'm right, was not followed by... Uh, 
was not only followed by the 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost, but also by 3,000 people who were listening to them. And so these 3,000 people, the Bible tells us they were saved. They were water baptized. And as we'll see, based on Peter's uh, command to them, we assume they were spirit baptized because as we go through Acts, everybody who was water baptized when we have specifics was also spirit baptized and they were added to the church. Now, as I said, to get the most benefits from this series, I'm asking you to do three things during the month of January. We've already talked about praying and seeking God for more of God's power in your life and in our church during this month. The second thing I'd like you to do is read through the book of Acts during January. It's 28 chapters long. You can read maybe three chapters a day and you'll finish it before the end. That's going to take you less than 15 minutes. But read through the book of Acts and read through the book of Acts with a view to Believing what it says, believing that what happened then can and still does happen today. Now, my father, I was raised in the Baptist church. Uh, my father was a Baptist pastor. And so I've told you the whole idea of different denominations, right? So what two experiences did I have right growing up? Yeah, I was saved at a very young age. I was saved at four and I was water baptized at, at nine. And so I had those uh, two things right. I believed the Bible was God's word. And I'll share my whole story about spirit baptism another Sunday. But I began to seek to understand more about the power of God. And I was directed to read, what do you think? The book of Acts. And so I read the book of Acts backwards and forwards. And I said, wow, they never taught me this in the Baptist church. You know, I was just, well, they taught Acts, but it was ancient history. This is just what happened in the early church. It really doesn't, none of it applies to us today. And as I read, God opened my mind to the truth that, wow, this is really for today. And I was spirit baptized. And I'll talk more about that another Sunday. But the book of Acts is critical to understanding the work of the spirit in the church today, in the world today. And the rest of the writings in the New Testament assume the teaching of the book of Acts. And you can't understand the rest of the New Testament correctly if you don't understand Acts. All right, let's look at a third group today. This is spirit baptism of the Samaritans. And so contrary to what a lot of people teach, spiritual gifts, the baptism of the Spirit, it's not a minor topic in the Bible. There's all kinds of scripture about it. Uh, there's more scripture about spirit baptism than there is about water baptism. And everybody, you know, not everybody, but at least the Baptists got that right. Okay. And so um, it's a major topic and we're only going to be scratching the surface during this message series. But let's look at a third group today that experienced spirit baptism. The Samaritans believe the gospel. Uh, Philip, who was not an apostle, was going around preaching and uh, as we'll see, doing all kinds of supernatural things. Philip was filled with the Spirit. He'd been baptized in the Spirit. And he was preaching the gospel to the Samaritans, who were people who lived in Samaria. Verse 12 says, when they believed, and you, as you read through Acts, you'll read the complete chapter 8, and so you get the whole story. But we're just going to read some of the verses. When they believed Philip as he preached... 
good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And we'll finish the verse in a minute. And so these people heard Philip preaching. He preached about the kingdom of God. Uh, that kingdom of God was being established on this earth through the church. And Jesus Christ was the Lord. You need to repent and believe in him. And they believed. And so as I said before, not only was Philip preaching the gospel, he was also doing signs and wonders. People were being miraculously healed. People were being delivered from uh, demonic possession. All kinds of things were happening. There was great joy in that city and that attracted people to listen to the gospel and people believed the gospel and they were saved. What happened next? Well, they were water baptized. They were baptized, both men and women. This is when you just see the word they were baptized, it's speaking of water baptism. And so we begin to see a pattern in these experiences. Salvation is always first. I mean, it's always first in the book of Acts, in the Bible. Water baptism is normally the second experience. But we're going to see a, a clear example in a couple of weeks where spirit baptism precedes water baptism. So water baptism and spirit baptism can happen in either order. And they probably were for the 120 on the day of Pentecost as well. as They were probably spirit baptized before they were water baptized. But the normal sequence we'll see most often as people are water baptized and, and spirit baptized. Or in the case of Jesus, it happened almost sim simultaneously, didn't it? He was water baptized and the spirit came upon him right at his baptism. And in fact, that is probably the way it happened in the early church. What did the Samaritans now lack? They were not yet spirit baptized. They were saved. They were water baptized. They were not yet spirit baptized. It didn't happen automatically for them. That's what a lot of people teach. What well, happens automatically? It didn't happen automatically for the Samaritans. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they what? might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so these verses are very informative to us in our study today of spirit baptism. First of all, they tell us that people who were clearly saved, people who were clearly water baptized, did not automatically receive spirit baptism. As I said, it's commonly taught in denominational churches that if they mention spirit baptism at all, they'll say that it happens automatically at salvation. Everybody's spirit baptized. It has no, it has no visible or any type of um, evidential consequences. And there is, again, zero scriptural basis for that, for that teaching and that belief. And so spirit baptism is seen here and in all the examples we've looked at today, as a separate and subsequent experience following salvation. And of course, nobody can be spirit baptized unless they're saved first. That would be uh, impossible. But somehow, word got back to the apostles in Jerusalem that the Samaritans had been saved. They'd been water baptized, but they had not been spirit baptized. And so Peter and John came, and it says, what did they do? They, they prayed for them that they might receive this experience of spirit baptism. Next two verses tell us what happened. It says, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And again, to learn more about Simon, uh, you'll have to read the whole chapter. But we see Peter and John praying for these new believers who'd been saved, water baptized, laying their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, which means they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, a man named Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands. Now, how could Simon have seen that the Spirit was given? The Holy Spirit is invisible. Can you see that somebody is, is saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them? Can you see that? No, you can't. You, you don't. You know they pray. They said certain things. You assume then, according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit's living inside of them. But there's no outward evidence. The answer that's given throughout the book of Acts as we read other examples, today we've just looked at one example where people spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, but we're going to see a number of others as we go through this series. The answer given throughout the book of Acts is that when anyone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. And I believe it's, it's uh, very reasonable that's what Simon saw and heard. He saw the Spirit was given. They they prayed for them, they laid their hands on them, they began to speak in other tongues they hadn't learned. It's a very evidential sign. And so this completed the third experience for the Samaritans that Peter had preached about on the day of Pentecost. Experience one, salvation. Experience two, water baptism. Experience three, spirit baptism. Now, next week we're going to talk in more detail about how to receive uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. But let's review what we've learned today. We've seen Jesus... And the 120 disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, waiting on God, praying to be spirit baptized. In the last case of the Samaritans, Peter and John, who had already been spirit baptized, prayed and laid their hands on the believers that they might receive that experience. And so we're beginning to see a pattern that there is an initial and observable evidence that someone has been spirit baptized, which is speaking in tongues. Now, during this series, I'm asking you to do three things. First of all, pray and seek God for more of his power in your life and in our church. Secondly, read through the book of Acts uh, and ask God to help you understand how that applies to your life. Read uh, a number of chapters a day so you finish by the end of January. And the third thing I'd like to encourage you is to read a great new book out just this last year, 2017, by Assembly of God Pastor Jeff Leake. It's called Power for Life. And there's a picture of it there. Uh, it's an easy read. It's full of uh, stories of God working today. Not just thousands of years ago. Working today in miraculous supernatural ways. Uh, basically the subtitle is why every believer needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to tell you why every believer needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Based on God's word. It's only nine chapters long. You can read three chapters a week and you'll complete it in January. And my guess is it happened with me. Once you start reading, you're not going to be able to put it down uh, until you finish it. And so we have more copies. If you didn't, weren't here last Sunday, there are more copies out on the table in the foyer. I'd encourage you to pick up. Uh, we don't have an endless supply of these books, okay? So uh, one per family. If you're... Uh, one per family. If you're a young adult, 18 plus, uh, you can get one too. And uh, 
we encourage you to take them. And if you take one, please read it. And uh, if we run out, we'll find a way to get more by next Sunday. And so today, uh, we've looked at the biblical patterns to understand more about what spirit baptism is. Spirit baptism is when Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. That came out in our video. And so in every baptism, there's three elements, right? There's the baptizer. Okay, in water baptism, it's, it's, say it's me or a pastor is the baptizer. And there's a person being baptized, and there's an element into which they're being baptized. In water baptism, that's water. And you're immersed into water when you're water baptized. Well, that's a very good picture for what spirit baptism is all about. Who is the baptizer in spirit baptism? Jesus. It said, clearly, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. And the believer is the person being baptized. And what are we being baptized into? It's the Holy Spirit. It's as if Jesus is immersing us into the Holy Spirit in spirit baptism. At spirit baptism, we receive, as according to Acts 1.8, supernatural power that we did not have before to accomplish the great things that God has planned for your life. And so every believer needs, I might say even more strongly, every believer is commanded to receive spirit baptism. It's not optional. It's one of the three essential experiences that every believer is commanded to receive. And next week we're going to study what the Bible has to say about how to receive spirit baptism. And at the end of the service next week, I'll be available to pray along with others uh, for anybody who desires to receive spirit baptism. Um, I receive spirit baptism on my own, praying by myself. A lot of people have. Uh, sometimes people need, as we saw in the, the group of Samaritans, they need somebody who's been spirit baptized to lay hands on them and pray, and that's how people receive. And so I'd encourage you to pray this week. If you want to come forward for prayer, I'd encourage you, if you have not received spirit baptism yet, to be praying about uh, coming forward for prayer next week. Now, we said this all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the very first experience that each and every person must have. And to become a believer, you need to admit that you've sinned and you turn away from that sin. That's really the definition of repentance. Secondly, you need to believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And thirdly, you commit to following him as your Lord. And what that means, to follow Jesus as your Lord, means that you are committed to do everything he tells you to do. You're committed to do everything God's word tells you to do. You don't go say, forgive my sins, I want to go to heaven and I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Okay? There's a lot of people who think they're Christians and that's what they've done. I want to go to heaven, I want my sins forgiven, but hey, I've got, I want to do what I want to do in my life. Well, Jesus isn't the Lord of that person's life. They're, they're not Christians, they're not saved. To be saved, you need to commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord. Uh, Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And of course, to confess with your mouth is not just to say the words, that's to mean it in your heart, that Jesus is truly Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, or perhaps you want to recommit your life to him today, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this, Father, today... 
I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my plans for my life. Please forgive me. I turn away from my way of living my life. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, paid the price, rose from the dead three days later. And I ask for you to forgive me. I ask for you to come into my life. I commit myself to following you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clear it is in teaching us about what we need to live the life that you created us to live. We thank you for teaching us about the power available to each and every believer through spirit baptism. Forgive us, God, for thinking that we could live the Christian life that you created us to live without your power. Forgive us, God. Help those among us who have not been spirit-baptized to seek and receive it. Help those who have, may have been seeking for some time and haven't been able to break through. Help them to break through this month. May those who have been baptized in the Spirit, but it was kind of a one-time thing, and they've not been living in the fullness of your supernatural power, we pray that they would seek more of your power. And we pray that our church would be, would be a place that is seen as being committed to your word and committed to the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.